Welcome to episode 82 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church Presbyterian in Charleston, South Carolina. We are a podcast of Christ Church for Christ Church, though we know that others like to listen in, and we're glad uh, that you're all here. Uh, we like to talk about a range of different subjects uh, that would be helpful for uh, our congregation, as well as uh, perhaps those who are listening from uh, the wider church. And uh, today we want to discuss the topic of fornication. Uh, we uh, are concerned that, uh, that sexual sin has been normalized even in the lives of uh, Christian believers. Uh, it's true that uh, when we look at statistics that uh, teens and young adults in evangelical churches, uh, when polled, admit to a high level of uh, sexual promiscuity and, uh, and, and fornication. And so we want to talk uh, today a little bit about this and uh, how we would counter this with biblical teaching, uh, as well as maybe an, giving some analysis to our culture and the ways that it's uh, impacting uh, the local church. And one of the passages of scripture that comes to mind when I think about sexual sin in general is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And this is in the middle of a discussion in which Paul is answering questions that were asked of, him, asked of him from the Corinthian congregation. And in verse 9, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, when we read this list today, one of the things that often comes out is people tend to skip the first two or three of those and jump immediately to homosexuality or adultery. But note that the first sin in the list is fornication. And one of the things that, as John mentioned, I think is important to recognize is once a certain sin is normalized around you, you somewhat forget how sinful that sin is. You forget that it is a direct violation of standard Christian ethics. And in particular about this sin, I think it's, you can call it kind of a forgotten sin. Not in the sense that people have just pretended that this is a holy thing, but primarily in the sense that we are around it so often that it doesn't offend us as it would, say, things like theft, covetousness, drunkenness, and etc., so, for example, when you see a drunkard in society, there's still somewhat of a stigma there. Or if you see someone who is a thief, there's still a stigma attached to it. But a normal, what you would call fornicator today, it's just considered what people do. It's kind of a shrug of the shoulders. Shrug of right? the shoulders, basically. And I think that's uh, often, isn't it? Because the culture is having such, and the media is having such an impact uh, on our way of thinking. Uh, so, you know, I grew up in Northern California, and unlike going to the coast uh, here in Charleston, where you put your foot in and the water is like a tepid pool, it's so warm, <laughs> um, that, that when you get into the Pacific Ocean, it's freezing. Mm. And it's almost shocking when you first get in. And I remember as a boy, we'd go to Santa Cruz Beach, 
and or Half Moon Bay, and we would jump in, and it would just be terror for like you know two minutes. You're so cold, and then in time, uh, you you sort of get used to it, and、mm-hmm. um, your body's kind of used to it. And I think that's that's what happens to us.、Uh, we 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 immerse ourselves、uh, unwisely so much in the culture.、Uh, Taking in all that Hollywood is catechizing us with in their different shows and, and movies, that we begin to see fornication is actually just, you know, sort of a normal thing that that happens. And, and while I may not do it, it really doesn't、uh, doesn't affect me very much that other people are constantly involved in this. And、uh, we were talking earlier、um, that it's often true that churches aren't really teaching. And preaching against this sin as much anymore,、um, and I think that's partly because it's not that big of a deal anymore in the minds of people. Yeah, and、uh, having just recently graduated from seminary, I've heard a lot of stories from pastors who、um, go into and I'm not sure if this has been your experience, Pastor John, but who go into、uh, a, a premarital counseling situation, and, and one of the first questions they have to ask is, "Are you living together? Are,、mm-hmm. are you sleeping together?"、Mm-hmm. Um, and and To encourage and and really tell the the, the couple, I, I'm sorry, I cannot marry you until you stop,、um, yeah. and that it's just it's just、uh, assumed even in Christian cultures that、um, that this is okay,、uh, not assumed by the pastors but assumed by the people in the pew. Yeah,、uh, and that's、um, I, it, it's very common from from what I understand. Yeah, that God understands. It's、yeah. just what people do. Yeah, Jesus loves no me. No big deal. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. And that's that's not a Christian way to approach this subject、right. at all, is it? Right.、Um, no. God God designs marriage to be within the to design sex rather to be within the marriage covenant. That's right.、Uh, as an expression of that faithfulness and steadfast love to one another and commitment to one another within the bounds of marriage.、Uh, so when it's when when we, you know a lot of people these days are talking about. You know homosexuality and the sin of homosexuality and its its further impact you know upon the church and and the, and the way we're thinking about it, but、um, are we talking about fornication and the widespread fornication that's taking place in the life of the church? I think we probably need to be doing that more. And particularly the various ways to guard your heart from it, and that's one of the other issues is that when you are not aware of the prevalence of a particular sin. You tend to let your guard down, so that doesn't mean that a person will necessarily just begin doing the physical act of fornication. But there are always gradual compromises that happen along the way, and so you know, there are lots of controversies about this. One of the ones that comes up often is the sort of things that Christians will watch on TV, the sort of music、yeah. they will listen to. That if this was three generations ago, would have been considered shameful. And not becoming of one who professes faith, but in today's society, because it's or so, just even an honorable person. Yeah, there, there we go. <laughs> even just a good, normal, honorable person、yeah. wouldn't be caught doing or observing certain things. But yes, you've heard it probably in other ways. There's the、uh, idea that we may have a pornographic type of society, and that has both the extreme version in terms of how prevalent pornography is. But also just in terms of how often much of life is sexualized in the West,、yes. and that's part of the reality. That if you don't have your guard up, you see it as normal, and your eyes begin to drift, and etc. And it's a particular problem among 
you know, you can say young people in general is no longer just a male problem. It's a problem among young uh, Christians and non-Christians alike. So one of the stories I, I've always remembered from my uh, early 20s and also college days was observing how Christians themselves justified certain movies they used to watch where they knew that it wasn't proper to watch because they never told their pastor they were watching them. <laughs> but we all knew they watched them because everyone knew the anecdotes, everyone knew the expressions, everyone knew the references. So a similar idea today is uh, I remember going on the internet and looking at social media and I remember when the show Scandal first came out. and. I had no idea what scandal was, so I just kind of asked my wife, what's scandal? And she looked at me puzzled, how do you not know what scandal is? Like, I don't want to tell you, but so she told me about <laughs> the actual show, and part of the essential premise of the show was watching an affair happen over many, many long episodes. And so you consider just that basic premise, that uh, there are unbelievers and believers alike who may watch that show and be enthralled and entertained and kind of gripped with the drama of it but what are you fundamentally watching you're watching a fornicating you're watching adultery from one side and you're watching fornication on the other side so that's one example in which it's so normalized that the actual offense is no longer there for many christians yes and the and the and the lust and the mm -hmm. adultery really started long before mm -hmm. They actually hooked up yeah. on the show. Exactly. And that's what the Bible teaches us as well: is that to lust after someone is is to be guilty mm -hmm. of, of breaking that's the right. seventh commandment. But you know, part of identifying um, sinful uh, sexuality is understanding what biblical uh, sexuality is. You yes. know, there have been uh, approaches to this teaching in the Christian Church in the history of the Church where it's almost taught as if you should be embarrassed or ashamed of sexuality mm -hmm. at all yeah. um, uh, and uh, we should not be embarrassed or ashamed of sexuality within the confines of God's design yes. in marriage right. We, right. we rejoice in it we celebrate it mm -hmm. um, uh, we take great delight in it uh, as God has given it to us as a gift in Genesis chapter 2 uh, the Bible says then the Lord God said it is not good that man should be alone I will make him a helper fit for him. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all livestock, to birds, to the heavens, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Of course, this is the pre-fall. And we have God here instituting the covenant of marriage. Uh -huh. uh, we have these uh, pre-fall institutions um, of uh, marriage, of work, working the garden, having dominion, 
and also of of worship of Sabbath. That's right. Uh, so these three uh, uh, institutions are fundamental to life: mm -hmm. worship, work, and marriage and family. Mm -hmm. And when you mess with those, of course, you're messing with the very design that God has for His world. Right. And uh, and, and so now we, we understand why the world is so broken, because yeah. uh, there's an attack on true worship, worship mm -hmm. of God. Uh, there's an attack on the family, marriage, mm -hmm. and there's an attack on work uh, mm -hmm. in so many ways. Um, so, uh, so to understand what sex is not to be, we must understand what it is yes. to be within the context of marriage. Yeah, and uh, I think it's telling that one of the Ten Commandments that, that God gave to His people mm. has to do with this. Um, a lot of times we think of the commandments as uh, all except two are, are, are restrictions. They, they keep us from doing things. We're mm -hmm. not allowed to do things. But really, the Seventh Commandment, and um, uh, you see that in the way that it's been ex exposited in the Westminster Confession of Faith and, and catechisms especially, uh, is, is positive. Um, and, and it's really a, a way to safeguard marriage and to keep us from being idolaters, keep us from being uh, uh, fornicators. That's right. Yeah, maybe it would be helpful to, to read um, the larger catechism, uh, question 138, which uh, asks, what are the duties required in the Seventh Commandment? Answer, the duties required in the Seventh Commandment are chastity in body, mind, affections, words, and behavior, and the preservation of it in ourselves and others, watchfulness over the eyes and all the senses, temperance, keeping of chaste company, modesty in apparel, marriage by those that have not the gift of continency, uh, conjugal love, and cohabitation, uh, diligent labor in our callings, shunning all occasions of uncleanness and resisting temptations thereunto. What are the sins forbidden in the Seventh Commandment? The sins forbidden in the Seventh Commandment, besides the neglect of the duties required, are adultery, fornication, rape, incest, sodomy, and all unnatural lusts, all unclean imaginations, thoughts, purposes, and affections, all corrupt or filthy communications, or listening thereunto, wanton looks, impudent or like behavior, immodest apparel, prohibiting of lawful, um, and dispensing with unlawful marriages, allowing, tolerating, keeping of stews, and resorting to them, entangling uh, vows of single life, undue delay of marriage, having more wives or husbands than one at the same time, unjust divorce or desertion, idleness, gluttony, drunkenness, unchaste company, lascivious, uh, lascivious songs, uh, books, pictures, dancings, stage plays, and all other provocations to or acts of unclean, uncleanness, either in ourselves or others. Man, that is an exhaustive <laughs> list. Wow. And it's extraordinary, you know, written in, in the 1640s. Some of these things just absolutely nail modern sins today right. that would have, you know, in some ways well, in, in so many ways, uh, been unknown to those that, that, that the kinds of things that we'd be dealing with today. Um, let's talk about some of these. Let's unpack a few of these things that are listed. So if you go back to question 138, note that's the first duty required in keeping the Seventh Commandment 
would be chastity in body, mind, affections, words, and behavior. Now, it, it used to be the case that a respectable person, not even just a Christian, just a respectable person, would not be one whose mind is filled with perverse, overly sexual thoughts and would therefore speak in an overly sexual sort of way. It was just unbecoming of just a good society. Yeah, and for Christians, it's something Especially. well beneath the calling of what a Christian is. Yet, and today, again, the line has kind of shifted where if one person, if there's a person who uh, speaks of uh, lewdness and crudeness and is giving profane jokes, it's it's common to see people laugh along with them. And it's also common to say that's just kind of how they express themselves. That's just their sense of humor, as would be kind of considered today. But the point is that the virtue being admitted here is chastity. And that's a virtue not often talked about. We tend to think of, well, not we, but the public perception of chastity is that it's a puritanical concept associated with a time where people didn't really talk or touch one another, <laughs> essentially. Right. Kind of the old, uh, ridiculous caricature of the Puritans. Yeah. But, but they enjoyed being miserable. Yeah, they enjoyed being unhappy and miserable, right? But chastity is an actual virtue that is beautiful to the soul and to people because it states very clearly that what is appropriate in terms of sex and sexual relations is to your wife. It is a unique, intimate relation that's given there. Yes, that, that one section is interesting there. Watchfulness over the eyes and all the senses. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, what he quotes here is Matthew 5.28 and Job 31.1. Matthew 5.28, But I say unto you that whoever looks on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Mm-hmm. And of course, Job 31, I made a covenant with my eyes that I should not look upon uh, a maid mm-hmm. or a maiden or a young virgin. Um the, the idea there is not that you can't look and appreciate the beauty of someone from opposite sex. Mm-hmm. We're talking here about lust and, uh, and, and letting lustful thoughts take over your heart and your mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, I mean, just to say that, you know, uh, in a crowd of a thousand men, it would, it would, I think there'd be a lot of sort of laughter and, um, mm-hmm you know, responsive incredulity that we would even say such a thing because it's so common these days uh, in our over-sexualized culture with music and with, t- with television and movies. It's just every, it's almost like you're shocked if a movie doesn't have something in there that's, uh, that would break this commandment. I remember when, uh, as a young Christian, and it's something a pastor once told me, and there are probably many who may not, uh, may take this a little bit too far, but one of the things he asked me when I was had a TV and was watching it was, would you watch this show in front of your children? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. at the time I thought, well, of, of course not. It's, you know, but the question is why? It isn't, it's not that it's an adult topic. It is, this is clearly something you don't want your child to watch. Yeah. Now, why do you do that? And he just pressed the question. Because you want to keep that child's mind chaste and pure, meaning absent from defilement is the idea. And so the question is, do we desire that for ourselves? And, you know, you and John and I, we have daughters, and we kind of know the same basic point that 
we would not want our daughters being involved with men who are clearly defiled in mind yes. and are just yeah. sexually ravaged and thinking about it all the time. Yeah, right. And the point is, that's a standard we hold for our children. Why don't we necessarily push it to ourselves? And I thought his uh, my, the former pastor's uh, logic was sh uh, spot on there. Mm. And it speaks to the reality that we hold a double standard internally. And that double standard means we know what's correct to do, but we justify ourselves in many ways. Yeah, and I think it's it's also important in that, uh, in, t in terms of some balance, that you know, as you grow and mature as a person, mm -hmm. as a believer, you have filters. Yeah. And our kids don't have filters right. when they're younger, and so we want to protect them from mm -hmm. things until they're able to work through things and have some filters. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, you know. Uh, most parents aren't going to talk to their kids about the birds and the bees, as it were, until they're a particular age. You know, right. maybe it's just pre-pubescent mm -hmm. period. Well, before that, you know, hopefully they're not really going to have any clue about <laughs> all of these things, and we don't want them learning it certainly from the crazy relationships that happen in certain kinds of novels or certain mm -hmm. kinds of movies or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's just important that we use a lot of discretion and wisdom uh, when it comes. Uh, you know, here we are speaking in a time when I can tell you from experience, from the, the, the experience we've had, with, you know, with dealing with different families over the years, that mm -hmm. the standard's pretty low as to what to guard children from mm -hmm. in Christian families today. Mm -hmm. uh, it's almost as if there hadn't been a whole lot of thought put into it at all. And we need to be careful. Um, interesting, too, uh, in this question 138, uh, it says, modesty and apparel. Modesty. So this deals with men and women, of course. Of course. But, you know, I think in particular, when it comes to um, women, there needs to be great care taken mm -hmm. with dressing in a way so as not to uh, unnecessarily uh, awaken the lust in the men that are around them or the mm -hmm. boys that are around them. And as you walk around, you know, Charleston, uh, you see a lot of provocative clothing. Mm -hmm. uh, provocative meaning provoking, you know, lust yeah. and, and, and attention from men or from boys, as it were, uh, that is, that is un ungodly because your body is meant for your spouse, your future yeah. spouse. Yeah. It's not there to show off. That, that's for him to see and not for... Uh, the rest of the world to see as you prance around um, uh, looking a certain way, uh, the way that the culture would, would have you to look. Uh, so anyway, a lot, of, a lot of really practical things in here. Yeah, and right. question, question 138 and question 139. So a, a question that often comes up, and this is a pastoral question, this means I can't answer it, <laughs> but a question that comes up is, suppose you're one entangled in these sort of desires, meaning you've already taken a step beyond where you should go, and now you have thoughts and regrets about what you have seen. Mm -hmm. How would you uh, address or counsel such a person in terms of dealing with the reality that there has been transgressions done, and yet the thoughts, the images are still there? So how would you... It's a, it's a great question. The, the, the fact is, uh, pornography mm -hmm. and, and, and related to that, fornication is, 
is widespread in the church, mm. um, even in solid churches. Um, the statistics are 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 heartbreaking, mm. um, and, and so what you describe is probably going to describe a lot of particularly men mm-hmm. in a church, but, but women as well. And really, at the end of the day, you must recognize that, first of all, Satan is going to uh, be the accuser in your life. He's going to make mm-hmm. you think that you're beyond God's love and grace, mm-hmm. um, that uh, you can never really be a, a full Christian, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and God, if he loves you, he's not going to love you as much as, as, as he would have if you hadn't done these things or been involved in these things. The, the, the only answer really gave to this is to make a clear break with this sin, mm-hmm. uh, not to give in to this sin any longer, uh, not to allow the patterns of sexual deviancy to continue in your life, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual or pornographic and whatever mm-hmm. way that is that um, that you repent mm-hmm. uh, by God's grace that you repent of that sin uh, that you turn from that sin and you put your eyes on Christ and you are a uh, a committed member of a local church where God by his grace and through his spirit and word is going to sanctify you and mm-hmm. change your heart and change your desires and grow you and that's not going to be something necessarily that's happen overnight that's right. Um, but it's something that happens over the course of weeks and months and years. And so uh, if those pictures are, are popping up in your mind or experiences that you have, uh, you need to redirect your thoughts. Take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. You need to die to that sin. You need to, to thank God that that sin is not that you committed however long ago is not going to send you to hell because Christ paid for that sin. Uh, use that as an opportunity to give thanks to God for His grace and His mercy. Uh, every person, you're not, you know, if you if this is if this is you that we're describing, you're not unique. Every person has experiences uh, and, and memories from their past that they regret, that they're ashamed of. But you use that as an opportunity to rejoice in your baptism and rejoice in God's promises of grace and salvation. To rejoice. In Christ, and to keep your eyes fixed on Him, and not to allow these things to um, to to overburden you. Um, I have spoken to people over the years who have said, you know, I can't I can't stop thinking about this sin I committed, you know, 12 years ago, and or 13, 15, 20 years ago. And uh, well, the way I counsel them is redirect your eyes from that onto Christ, who who, who paid for that sin Amen. and all the others. Uh, every one of them. Uh, could, could send you to hell apart from God's grace. But that one, along with all the others, have been pardoned. And so um, put your eyes on Christ. Right. Yeah, I, I think um, one of the most important tools we have in our fight against sin is God's Word. Um, right. And so the, the more time we spend deeply rooted in it, um, the more it's just going to, to come to our minds. So I, I would encourage any who are struggling with these kinds of things, memorize Scripture. Memorize uh, Romans six twelve through fourteen. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. 
For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Mm. Cling to Christ. Sin will not have dominion over you. That's mm. a promise, a, a guarantee uh, from, from God in his word because you are bought by the precious blood of Christ. Amen. And read Romans 12, 1 and 2 yeah. as well, which are perfect verses for right. us too. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. So, so when we talk about fornication, and we talk about the seventh commandment, this is not simply about sexual intercourse with someone that's not your spouse. Um, this is about a whole lot of things that are related to this, which are outside of God's design for us. Things that could lead us to those kinds of sins as well. Sins that could lead us to those bigger sins, as it were. And so as we think about the renewal of our minds, yes, we need to bathe our minds in Scripture. We need to be careful uh, what we allow into our minds. Uh, garbage in, garbage out, right? Mm. Uh, so be careful what you watch. Um, you, you, you may not be able to, to watch certain things that may trigger you for whatever reason. Uh, there may be certain kinds of music you just need to give up, if not for a while, forever. Um, uh, there may be certain relationships you need to, to walk away from. Maybe some friends who are, are leading you in the wrong direction. Uh, uh, bad character corrupts, or bad company corrupts good character, the scriptures say. Uh, so all of these things are things you must consider as you think about um, having a, a, a God-centered view, uh, a God-designed view of sexuality and not to adopt the, uh, the, the sexual doctrine of our culture. Well, it's been great uh, to be with you again today. We hope that you've been encouraged uh, by this discussion, and we hope you join us next time on Between the Times.